This episode of Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olakara is brought to you by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridge and & Build. And now, here's your host, founder and CEO of the Millennial Action Project, Stephen Olakara. Well, welcome back to Meeting in Middle America, our podcast looking at ideas and leaders that are bringing people together uh, in the Midwest. Today, we have a real treat on the show is State Representative Tyler Vorpagel, and we've had the chance to work together through the Millennial Action Project. Representative Vorpagel, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I wish we were together in studio, but uh, this will have to uh, be for the time being. Oh, me too. And I appreciate your flexibility. And this is such a crazy and unusual time we're living through. So let me just ask you first, how are you doing and, and how is your family doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. I just wish, uh, obviously, this is a campaign time of year and would much rather be going door to door and talking to voters and uh, constituents and getting nomination signatures than uh, sheltering in, in place and uh, hanging out at home. But um, family's been been doing good. Uh, I tell you what, I'm really glad that uh, we have a four-year-old now who's in 3K because the homework consists of making a worm out of Play-Doh and uh, attempting to write your name and less of like, you know, complicated math problems and, and things like that that would be outside of my uh, expertise. But um, my wife has a pretty important job. She's uh, works at Wayne County Public Health. So she's been uh, putting in overtime and uh, doing a lot of great work. Uh, while everybody else has kind of been uh, working from home and, and things like that. She's pretty much been uh, going in and uh, doing that. So, um, but other than that, it, it helped me get a few projects done. I, I'm getting started on re redoing my deck and some yard work. So <laughs> try oh, to nice. look at the positive. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You have to, you live in such a beautiful part of Wisconsin and you represent the greater Sheboygan area. We have some, in addition to Wisconsin listeners, we also have some national folks tuning in as well. So for people not familiar with Sheboygan, it's about halfway between Green Bay and Milwaukee. Tyler, if you had to describe Sheboygan to someone from out of town, how would you describe the area? Well, we're right on Lake Michigan. So we have uh, some, some of the, the, the best scenery uh, of Lake Michigan, beautiful bluffs. Um, but in general, it's a blue collar uh, working class area. The, the county is very, a, a lot of people would recognize a lot of the industries. Uh, Kohler, so the, the company who makes faucets and sinks and toilets. Um, and, uh, you know, a num number of large um, insurance companies and, and things like that. So, but uh, I'll put a plug in for uh, one of the main attractions is Whistling Straits Golf Course. Um, which many uh, national viewers outside of the state um, would probably recognize from hosting PGA championships and actually is supposed to host the Ryder Cup in 2020 uh, at the end of September. So the last I had seen, um, I think they're still hoping that, that it'll be put on. But of course, like anything else, it's up in the air and I think they're busy making contingency plans for that. So stay tuned. That golf course, Whistling Straits, it's so beautiful. I have fond memories of going up there with my dad uh, to see the PGA Championship. So highly recommend that area and uh, hope people have the chance to visit. Now, you mentioned Kohler, and there's some big companies in the area. 
that have been responding to COVID-19. And a number of them are essential businesses and they have to stay open. Others are starting to retool and make masks. So how are the area businesses responding to this crisis? Uh, and who's getting hit the hardest and, and who do you think is able to adapt the best? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned before, we have a lot of uh, manufacturing and a lot of manufacturing that is tied to uh, essential, uh, whether it's uh, food service, uh, Sargento Foods, uh, Johnsonville Sausage, uh, things like that are all uh, in the area. Um, and But the, the, the great news is I know uh, from anecdotes that I've been hearing from employees, um, a lot of the employers have been proactive in making sure that their employees are being safe. And even to the point where they're making sure that they're only socializing with people within their own uh, family structure. So um, the, they've been very uh, careful to make sure employees are just, you know, it, being with their families and not going to parties or having larger gatherings where um, they could be open to, um, you know, being exposed to someone. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, thankfully, we haven't seen any uh, major issues or, or huge outbreaks like Brown County has seen in their meatpacking plants and uh, things like that. But it, it, it is a lot of too. Um, I think employers are, are being very creative in letting people work from home and having flexible schedules and, uh, and things like that. You know, Sheboygan County is no, no uh, different. Yeah, that's right. One of the big pieces of news that just came out at, at the time of taping this episode is the Supreme Court struck down the governor's safer at home orders. So how are employers in your area reacting uh, to that news? Yeah, so um, it, it, just from what I've been seeing on Facebook and a few uh, places that I've, I've talked to, a lot of them are still continuing to use uh, social dis distancing and guidelines that the CDC and WEDC uh, have, have put out. Um, so one of the things that the Supreme Court ruled on was the, the governor's, the DHS secretary's order. Um, and we still have local public health officials who have broad powers during uh, pa uh, pandemics and um, contagious uh, outbreaks, things like that. So um, in some cases, we saw Dane and Madison and like Green Bay and Milwaukee sort of uh, institute as an order through their local public health officers, um, the plan that Governor Evers had. Um, it's kind of been a little quiet around here from what I understand. I think our uh, county health department is trying to put out some guidelines for people and, um, you know, make, make it guidelines to, to follow and not necessarily a, a regulatory thing. Um, but I, like I said, I've seen on Facebook um, different uh, a bookstore saying that they weren't, they were just doing curbside pickup, a dog groomer who said the same thing that they were planning on not being fully open. So I, I do think people are, aware of the situation and whether they're business owners or patrons, um, they're, they're going to do what they feel comfortable with. And by and large, I mean, there's always uh, exceptions to the rule, but um, by and large, I think people are going to uh, try and respect uh, some of the guidance that's been put out by uh, CDC. Well, there's some incredible businesses in Sheboygan and great breweries. And we had the chance to be up in Sheboygan together a few months ago uh, for Millennial Action Project's Red and Blue Dialogues. And uh, we were at one of the great breweries in town. 
it, the focus of that conversation was bringing uh, people from across the political spectrum together, uh, focusing on workforce development issues. And we had Representative D Danny Reamer come up and join us, representatives from Kohler and the area technical colleges. One of the things I loved so much about that conversation was how we had people bringing their ideas to the table, regardless of their political background. From your standpoint, Tyler, eager to hear your reflections generally uh, of that event, but also to, uh, eager to get your take on why uh, you think building bridges in politics is important. Yeah, no, I I, I love doing that event, um, and, and thank you for bringing you and your team out uh, to to have that. Um, one of the uh, things that I've always kind of I'll stick by. Um, no matter how bad the rhetoric and things go, is I genuinely believe that there's 70% of things that we can agree on or more, um, whether it's in a specific issue, um, not all the time, but, um, or just, just generally. And it's how we figure out that 70% constructively and then not focus on the 30% and worry about uh, tearing each other down or, or things like that with the, the, the other 30% that we maybe need to, to work on. So, um, you know, I still think that having these constructive conversations, uh, you know, who would have thought uh, a year, less than a year removed from that uh, dialogue that we would be talking global pandemics and, uh, um, and some of the things that were brought up there, childcare, um, sick, sick leave by employers and things like that are now sort of, we have a different perspective on, right? Um, and, and working from home and flexible hours and things like that, uh, which, which uh, came up specifically in that conversation um, and are things that are important to uh, millennials and you know, younger, younger people who are in the workforce is they try and balance having a family, um, doing, having a life, um, but also uh, you know, being a good employee. Yeah, you raised one of the, I think, fascinating topics that came up is how you build a workforce and a workplace environment that's conducive to attracting the next generation, millennials and Generation Z. And you mentioned the, the topic of childcare came up. When you look ahead to the next you know, 10, 20 years of those adjustments that might need to happen, what sorts of things are at the top of your list and, and where do you think there might be the most bipartisan opportunities? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think a lot of these, um, these things are, uh, especially if you talk about um, paid leave, um, childcare, things like that, um, are driven by employers a lot of times and seem to work out a little better when we have employers who are forward-looking and um, progressive in uh, meeting the needs of their employees. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's really tough to say because we went from talking, we had that conversation, right, in an era where we had uh, like three and a half percent unemployment. And now we're kind of switching, hope, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to, to turn that back on. But I mean, as of right now, um, you know, we've had more people, uh, in unemployment and, and, and going through that process than we've had, you know, even since the, the Great Depression. But I really think education is um, where we have the biggest opportunity, as I've, I've, I've been saying um, for a while, we, education hasn't changed in like 400 years. It's still, whether it's universities or colleges, it's still a classroom. 
um, you know, somebody giving a lecture or things like that. And I think some of these, particularly what's been going on now, has been forcing change in those areas. We're seeing more, uh, you know, college universities um, uh, thinking outside and doing more online classes and things like that. And it's not, you know, uh, biology and the hard sciences and things like that. It's tough to do that, but um, I, I do think looking forward, um, I think the best place for for bipartisan cooperation is um, pushing the education system to to be more technologically minded. You mentioned a great partnership between the the technical colleges and some of the area employer the area employers. Um, would love for our listeners to learn more about that. If you can just share a little bit more information on that. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about this. I get absolutely no credit, which is one of the, the cool things in my job. I get to tell people about all the awesome stuff that um, people have been coming up with. So uh, we have Lakeshore Technical College. They're one of our two-year um, tech college schools, uh, which is maybe a half hour north uh, of the city of Sheboygan. So it's, it's in a rural area. What they've done is worked with uh, the Sheboygan School District to come up with a curriculum where high school students, if they start as a freshman uh, and continue through the, the process, will be taking LTC courses in high school taught by LTC instructors. And if they go through the whole thing, they'll be getting simultaneously their uh, high school diploma and an associate's degree. Right now, they're just doing computer, uh, computer science they partnered with Acuity, who's a big insurance company in the area and desperately needs uh, computer tech, uh, computer science-minded folks. And uh, not only do they they have that dual uh, credit, uh, dual degree coming out of, of high school, but then all their credits are transferable to Lakeland College, which is a local private college in the area. Um, so, so theoretically, they could get their bachelor's degree um, in two years, two years of college. So um, I think and now UW Green Bay, uh, just they have a new chancellor and was on the phone with him and they're trying to replicate some of some of those programs to, to other areas uh, that that their campus covers. And um, I think I think it's a great program and really uh, inventive and innovative from uh, the folks at Dr. Paul Carlson at, at Lakeshore Technical College. He gets all the credit. I, I think it's awesome. I loved learning about it when I was up in Sheboygan with you. Now, speaking of bipartisan opportunities, when we look ahead to uh, later this year, one of the challenges will be how do we make sure that we have an election uh, and conduct it safely uh, and credibly, where people feel like that it was done the right way. It seems to me, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that one of the bipartisan opportunities is being able to promote uh, absentee voting in states like Wisconsin, where they already have uh, absentee voting, online voter registration, a lot of these tools in place for people to, to vote remotely. Unfortunately, at the national level, it seems like it's just gotten very polarized and, and divisive. Uh, so when you look ahead, Tyler, to Wisconsin's August election and then subsequently the November election, how do you think um, state leaders should be preparing to make sure that we can conduct the election both safely and credibly? Yeah, I think uh, we need to first be looking and driving people towards uh, absentee voting. I know 
Um, there's a few states that have, have kind of been in the forefront of uh, vote by mail, Washington, um, and, and then some of the states more out west have, have sort of been um, very uh, progressive in, uh, in that, moving in that direction. But in Wisconsin, we uh, have a pretty, a fairly easy uh, system, whether or not it's registering to vote. We still have same day registration. We're one of the few states that still has that. Um, you can register online. Um, and then also you can request an absentee ballot through our Elections Commission website. So you just go online, fill out your information, and your local clerk will uh, will send you a ballot. So I think um, our uh, opportunities are learning from um, the system that happened in the spring election when all of a sudden things kind of blew up and the system kind of got bogged down in a few areas and um, learn from that and then um, try and make sure we're prepared so that people do um, can get you know ballots next day and things like that when they're they're requesting uh, them online um, and you know we talked about offline um, I think everybody should vote everybody should uh, be informed and um, participate in the system and I know a lot of that's not a Republican idea or a, or a Democrat idea so um, to the extent that we can uh, get that message out there and, and kind of create some uh, creative content uh, for, for people to know how they can easily uh, get a ballot, I think is a, is a great opportunity. That's right. Now, one of the things you're part of in the Wisconsin State Legislature is the uh, Wisconsin Future Caucus, which you know partners with the Millennial Action Project. It's a group of the younger uh, state representatives who are committed to working in a bipartisan fashion. And wanted to get your take, Tyler, on what what do you think is the importance of having a kind of generational perspective in the state legislature with an eye to the future um, that you've seen uh, the Wisconsin Future Caucus uh, offer uh, in the state capitol? Yeah, I think there's uh, some issues that uh, transcend. They're not they're not necessarily partisan or things that um, they're, they're things that you know maybe younger people in their twenties and thirties. Uh, see our issues and are concerned about that people who are maybe out of the workforce or, um, you know, just like how having a, a perspective from somebody who's a business owner is good as well as having somebody who's, uh, you know, run a nonprofit or, or things like that. So um, I just think it, it, it further having good diversity, not only in uh, gender, but uh, age also um, and, 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 and employment and backgrounds uh, is, is important. And uh, I, sh I think I shared this a couple of times at the uh, conference that we had in, in Nashville, um, as I was talking with some of the uh, other folks from different states, I think it was somebody in Oregon said they uh, basically had to expand the age limits so that they could get like eight people to be to qualify. Um, in Wisconsin, right. I think last I counted, we have over uh, 25, which is about uh, a quarter of the uh, assembly caucus that's under the age of 40. So, um, I, you know, I just think it's really awesome to get, you know, younger people involved and, and then that also helps them whether they move on to some different role in government or some different role in life um, gets them that that experience uh, here. And again, as a voice for, um, you know, the, the generation that they're, they're part of. Absolutely. And that, that conference you're referring to the, is the Future Summit, uh, which Millennial Action Project puts on 
uh, every summer and brings our young state legislators together from across the country. It's looking like this summer we'll probably uh, take that online and do a virtual <laughs> Well, if there's anybody so who getting... can figure that out, I'm sure it's you guys. It should be us. Yeah, yeah. If we don't figure it out, we're doing something wrong for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but speaking of background, I uh, wanted to get into your own personal background as well. I think it's always so fascinating, you know, what leads uh, young leaders to run for office at an early age. And I know you were uh, born and raised in Plymouth, Wisconsin, and uh, formerly worked in a local congressman's uh, office. But going a little further back, Tyler, where did the whole interest in politics come in? And then at what point did you imagine yourself running for office? So uh, it actually kind of goes back to like the 1992 election uh, when I would have been about seven or eight. Um, and just I, I, I just uh, remember watching the TV as the election results came in and lighting up the red states and the blue states. And um, for some reason, that sort of just I, I don't can't put my finger on exactly what it was, but um, just kind of that. Uh, really kind of stuck with me. And then growing up, my family was always one that would have the news on. And um, I remember just being glued to the TV during 9-11 and um, really wanted to, uh, was just really kind of uh, captivated by the um, public service uh, part of it. I actually, when I was in high school, I wanted to, when I graduated high school, I went to college to be a high school history teacher. Um, and then the 2004 election was going on at the time. And I realized that there were actually jobs you could get in politics. So I switched my major and uh, uh, became a political science public administration major and then um, worked on, you know, just kind of got to know people. I always figured that you can sit in a classroom and read a book and there's value to that, but there's also value in uh, getting to know people, having an experience, you know, being in an office and learning the process with your hands on, which I, I did a lot of internships and spent a lot of time doing that, um, which paid off and ended up working, getting a job working for Congressman Petri, and then eventually being his, uh, his district director. And then uh, when the, in 2014, my home state representative, Steve Castell, retired. And um, again, I just saw it as an opportunity to uh, continue on with, with my public service. Um, but also in the Sheboygan area, we had uh, our state senator was leaving to run for a congressional seat. Uh, and all three of the state representatives in the area were leaving. So I also felt that I was uniquely positioned with my job and knowing a lot of the local officials, knowing the issues that were going on in the state legislature and, uh, and through state government, um, that I was... Uh, in a position to be able to step in right away and be able to offer uh, some experience where usually you know, a lot of times it's, it, it could be just starting over when there was a lot of uh, experience that, that was uh, leaving and going on to other things. That's a great story. And uh, one quick rapid fire question, because you see so many crazy things at times on the campaign trail. Most interesting thing you've come across while campaigning. Oh my gosh. Uh, let's see. Um, there have been people who I know have been home who you catch a glimpse of them that are surprised <laughs> and, and uh, not, not fully dressed, 
uh, and then you slowly kind of just put the lit in the door and uh, walk away as quietly as possible. <laughs> but it is funny, Steve. Um, you, uh, you, what you remember. So um, knocking on doors through uh, my first campaign when I did, you know, thousands of, of doors in the primary and then into the general. And then when I was doing it two years later in the same neighborhoods, what exactly you remember and is like a picture perfect memory of two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> kind, kind of like, well, yeah. that house i'm gonna skip because i got yelled at the last time i was there <laughs> <laughs> those things will stick with you for sure <laughs> yep oh man that's great well tyler i really appreciate what you're doing and uh such a pleasure to work with you through millennial action project and uh grateful that you've taken some time to join us on the show Hope you and your family continue to stay safe and hopefully we'll get up to uh, Sheboygan in the not too distant future and play a round of golf uh, at Whistling Straits. You know, as I always say, uh, when things open back up, uh, come, stay a long time, spend a lot of money. Our local economy will love you for it. Uh, just thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for everything you're doing to, um, you know, whether it's the dialogue series or just just trying to get people to connect and, um, and, and bridge uh, the, the gap that everybody thinks is just day in and day out, which isn't necessarily uh, true in, in the world. So, and uh, thanks to your listeners for taking the time to, to put up with me for an hour and a half or for a half hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. You've been listening to Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olakara, sponsored by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridgenville. This has been a WISPolitics.com, WISBusiness.com podcast production.